الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين وبعد. We continue with the qualities of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم. إن شاء الله we will finish before Isha. We were at the point of the issue of fortitude or sabr, and as I mentioned to you, sabr is not simply to sit around doing nothing because that's the usual understanding of sabr. Where people say the word sabr with a sense of helplessness. Yeah, like in Urdu we say, Kya sab sabar is karna aur kya kar sakte. But that's a completely false uh, impression about sabar. <coughs> sabar is completely and totally doing all that you can possibly do in a situation, making all the effort, using all resources, all strategies, and then having faith and trust only and only on Allah. That is also the meaning of tawakkul. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, Bisabri wassala? Effort first, then salah in the, in the meaning of namaz as well as in the meaning of the linguistic meaning of salah is dua. Why do I say sabr is, uh, sabr means all effort? Where is my dalil for that? My dalil for that is the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used this word sabirin, people of sabr, for mujahideen. In three or four places in the Quran, Surah Al-Anfal and other places, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used this word sabirin to mean mujahideen. Now, if you look at who is a mujahid, a mujahid is a soldier fighting in a just war, for the sake of Islam, protecting Muslims and protecting communities which may not even be Muslim but protecting them against oppression. Who is more of a symbol of action and complete and total commitment than a soldier fighting in battle? Right? So it's total action and it's commitment to the extent that the man is even putting his life on the line. Those are the people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referred to as Sabirin. Allah did not call the people, the Musalleen for example, people who are praying as Sabirin. Allah did not call anyone else Sabirin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called Mujahideen Sabirin. And therefore my understanding is Sabar means to completely and totally commit to the course of action that, that results in goodness. But at the same time, after that, to stand in Salah. Why? Because this is the, in my uh, understanding, this is the tawakkul of the Qalb. This is what saves you from arrogance. This is what saves you from feeling that success was a result of my strategy. Success was a result of my effort. Success was a result of my, the victory came to me because of what I did. Now that is a very big danger. So it saves you from shirk. From making yourself shariq in the victory that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Jalla Jalaluhu. So what saves you from that? This dua. Having made all the effort, the person is not relying on the effort alone. The person stands before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and says, Ya Rabbal Alameen, success and failure is in your hands. I did what I could do, please give me success. If I get success, it will not be because of my effort, because my effort is, has no meaning. Why do I still make the effort? Because this is your hukum. Because you made this world a world of cause and effect. So Allah did not tell us, for example, the, the famous 
quote of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu he said they said what is tawakkul he said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said the bird leaves the nest every morning with an empty belly and returns with a full belly so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala feeds the bird but not in the nest the bird leaves the nest to go and find food and it finds food but if the same bird sits in the nest does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have the power to still feed the bird yes of course but will Allah feed him? Will, will Allah feed this bird? Illa mashallah, unless it is the uh, amr of Allah, unless it is the will of Allah. Otherwise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not feed the bird in the nest because this is not the sunnatullah. The difference between khudratullah and sunnatullah. The khudratullah, the khudrat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no limits. The sunnat of Allah also does not have limits, but the sunnat of Allah comes with rules. Can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create a human being without parents, neither mother nor father? Yes. Adam alayhi salam had no mother, no father. Can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create a full grown human being from day one? The day he is born, he is full grown. Is it possible? Yes. Adam alayhi salam had never, was never a toddler, he was never an infant, he was never two years old, you know, he was never a teenager. Adam alayhi salam was born full grown man Hawa alayhi salam his wife who is the within quotes mother of Hawa a man because she came out of Adam alayhi salam so if mother is the one you come out of then who is the within quotes the mother of Hawa Adam alayhi salam so Allah is proving that all the rules that Allah made Allah is not subject to those rules. But having said that, now you say, well, I want a son. Very good. So what must I do? Get married. No, no I don't want a wife. No problem. Then what do you do? <laughs> Adopt. Right? But I want my own son. My progeny. Keep wanting. It's not going to happen. Because that is not sunnatullah. If Allah wants, He can give. Of course, we don't we don't we do not deny that. We don't say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam once and he is incapable of doing it again. Now Billah, no. But is this going to happen? No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created this world with certain rules. We call them the rules of physics. Right? The same rules. These are not the rules of physics, they are rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we call them the rules of physics, we accept. When you call them the rules of Allah, you don't accept. What is gravity? Law of physics. Who made it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so on and so on. Sabr is to understand this. And therefore, make your best effort and stand before Allah. Now, we are talking about the Sirah of Islam. Where do you see sabr? You see sabr in his entire life. But one of the finest examples of sabr, which illustrates this whole concept which I explained to you, is the battle of Badr. What did he do, Sallallahu He made the maximum effort that he could possibly make. In terms of whatever resources he had, he used them. He took the advice of people. One of the Sahaba, when, they, when he said, when they came to the field of Badr, and Nabi Sallallahu said, let us camp here. The Sahabi came to me and said, Ya Rasulullah, is this a hukum of Allah? 
Are you communicating a order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or is this your assessment? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, this is not a hukum of Allah. Then in the sahab, he said, I have a suggestion. If you accept, so Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, say, say what is it? He said, let us camp at a different place where there was a well there. Was a well there, of, uh, there was a cistern they made later, but there was also a well, some water. He said, let us have the water in our control. So we camp behind the water, so the water is in our control. When the enemy comes, the enemy will not have water. Rasulullah accepted this Sahabi's advice. He did not say, Are you the Rabbi or am I the Rabbi? Are you getting why? Am I getting why? No. Good advice, alhamdulillah, we take the advice. So he did all of that. Deployed the troops, appointed commanders, head of the Ansar, head of the, head of the Muhajirun, and so on and so on. And then what did he do? And then he stood before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They had made a shelter for him. He stood there and he made salah and he made dua. And he kept on asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalaluhu. And we know the famous dua of Badr. He said, ya, ya Allah, if these people die, there will not be anyone left on the face of the earth to worship him. And he kept on asking Allah until Abu Bakr Siddiq said, Ya Rasulullah, bas. Abu Bakr Siddiq couldn't see Rasulullah in that state. He said, Bas Ya Rasulullah, your Rabb has promised you victory. Your Rabb will send his help. That enough. And of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Malaika. And Jibreel salam came and the battle of Badr as we know. The rest as they say is history. So what is our therefore is to make the maximum effort. And stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another aspect of sabr is that sabr is to respond, not to react. There's a difference. When you are reacting, you are like a puppet. You your actions are in the hands of the puppeteer. I'm sure all of you have seen some puppet show at some point in time. If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube. So you have the puppeteer who's behind the screen who's got strings in his fingers and there's a puppet and he does this and the puppet so the puppet is moving who is actually moving the puppet? puppet so when you are reacting you have made yourself into a puppet you react depending on what the other person does therefore who has the control button who has the remote the other person so reactions usually or almost always produce only negative responses. To respond is not to react. Respond is to consciously take a decision to act in a certain way. Not because of what the other person did, but because of what you think is the best way to act in that situation. In the life of Nabi we have the issue of, we know the story of the woman who used to throw rubbish uh, in his path and sometimes maybe Allah Alam on him also it, something would fall every time he passed by her house he would, she would do this what was his reaction? nothing he would dust himself and he would continue on his path what was his response? I am differentiating between these two terms reacting and responding what was his response? the day the woman did not throw this he turned around and came back and he asked where is this lady? they said she is uh, not well, she is sick. He said, can I see her? They said, yes, please come. He came to her and he said, I came to find out, I believe you are not well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cure you and so on. 
The woman started weeping. She said, I throw garbage on you and you are making dua for me. Nabi Sallallahu said, you do what you do, I do what I do. Hmm? Abdurrahim Khan Khana was going somewhere and an old woman, she threw a stone. So the soldiers grabbed her and they brought her to him. So he said to his uh, treasurer, he said, give her a bag of 100 gold coins. So one bag of Ashrafis was given to her. So she went away. So they asked him, they said, what is this? She threw a stone at you when you were giving her gold coins. He said, what happens if you throw a stone at a tree which is full of fruit? He said, she does what she does, I do what I do. I can only do this. That's why I make God Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is an adna abd of yours. Who responds to something negative like this. You are Rabbul Alameen. You are Ghaniyun Hamid. Nahnu kulluna fuqara. All of us are fakir. Hmm? Not reacting but responding. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi These are before. These, are, these incidents are. <coughs> some of them are at the beginning of. At, in, in Makkah. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi is going. He sees an old woman standing. By the side of the road she's got some luggage. So Rasulullah asked her what is luggage where she says, I'm going to the I need someone to help me with this luggage. I'm waiting for someone if I can find some uh, you know laborer to carry this because I have to get to the place where the caravans go. So Rasulullah said, I'll help you. He picked up the luggage. And now he's carrying this luggage of hers and she's walking by his side. She asked her, he asked her, he said, uh, where are you going? She said, I'm leaving Makkah. He said, leaving Makkah? Why are you leaving Makkah? She said, because this has become a bad place. There is this man called Muhammad and he is preaching that uh, we should not worship our gods and we should worship only Allah. And he said, I have grown up like, I have been worshipping these gods all my life. My family worshipped these gods and so on. And this man comes and he is creating all this fitna and there is problem with the families and so on and so on. Nabi Sallallahu <coughs> continues to listen. She, tells, she says all this. He doesn't say anything. And then the woman says, you know, you are such a nice person, you are helping me with baggage and so on. And uh, she gives him dua, you know, may you be well and so on. Finally, they reach the place. She tries to pay, which said, no, no, I don't need anyone. I just helped you. So she says, at least tell me your name. He says, I am Muhammad. She says, which Muhammad? The same one. He says, same one. <laughs> he says, Allah, you are Muhammad. He says, yeah, I am Muhammad. He says, then take me back. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. If you are Muhammad, then I accept. I accept Islam. You, what you are saying has to be correct. Yeah, Ajib. That's why I always say, Islam spread because people fell in love with Muhammad Islam spread because of akhlaq. Islam did not spread because of theological argument. When this woman is talking all of this stuff against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of this stuff in favor of her God, Nabi sallallahu did not argue with her, he didn't debate with her, he didn't tell her you are a crazy woman, what nonsense are you talking all, all this rubbish, you know, worshipping idols and so on, he didn't say any of that. He said nothing, only his akhlaq. The woman accepted Islam without one single theological argument, without one single 
debate without one thing and anything. Just the akhlaq of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Seriously, Abdullah bin Salam radhiyallahu the in in Madina, the great rabbi of the Banu Nadir, the Jews. He talks about his coming to Islam when he went to meet Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Quba. And he said, when I looked at his face, I knew this is not the face of a liar. So the man who looks like this cannot tell a lie. He's not talking about physical beauty, he's talking about the radiance of truth. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was also physic physically very handsome and very beautiful, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about the radiance of truth. He said, this is the face of somebody who cannot tell lies. That is the meaning of sabr. This is what sabr gets you. Now, in, in the life of Islam, so many such incidents where because of his sabr, people who were enemies of Islam, I already mentioned for you Khalid bin Walid, Amr ibn Alas, and each one of them there is a story. I don't want to go into the into too many details because we need to finish. But point being that fortitude and sabr is a expression of confidence, it's an expression of courage because somebody who is afraid cannot has no patience, he has to immediately react. Somebody curses you, you curse him back. Somebody says you are a donkey and you prove it. Somebody says you are an idiot and you prove it. Huh? Why? For what? If you are not a donkey, why do you behave like a donkey? <laughs> so seriously, that is something that we need to work on. Then we come to Rida bil Qada, where uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we are talking now about, as I mentioned to you, uh, I referred you to the story of Taif. Now, in question of Taif, as I mentioned to you, there are several lessons. Three ways of reacting to incidents in life. And we are talking here about failures. People react in three different ways. One is, of course, people complain. So something happens, there's a loss, there is failure and so on and you know, you moan and groan and you scream and so on and so forth, why, why me and so on and so forth. All of this of course is completely negative. Uh, as Muslims we do not do this. Second way of dealing with failure is where you don't complain but you accept. So if somebody says, how are things? Yeah, it's okay. Alhamdulillah. But you can people you can see from the face of somebody that they are obviously unhappy about it and so forth. Now this is the second level. This is not bad because end of the day you are human. If it pains, it pains. But Rida bil Qada is a level beyond this. This is the level of the Ambiya. This is the level of the Salafus Salihin. This is the level of Rasulullah Sallam's approach to life. Rida bil qada is not only to accept the qadr of Allah because we have no choice. You, 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 you moan and groan about it or not. The qadr of Allah is the qadr of Allah. If it happened, it has to happen, it will happen. So, Rida bil qada is not just accepting the qadr of Allah but actually being happy about what happened. Pleased with the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now you might say, well, you know, this is like pushing it. Because how can you be pleased about loss? How can you be pleased about some, you know, 
bereavement or somebody close to me dies or I make a lot of effort, years and years of effort behind something and it doesn't, doesn't there's no success. I, I do not achieve what I want to achieve. Now when this kind of thing happens, especially I mean, bereavement and so on is different, but especially if you are engaged in good work, uh, whether it is directly the work of Dawa or it is something else. I mentioned to you the issue of Taif. Now, what were the three things we said then? Sincerity. Did you really have sincerity? Did you have a class? And you say, well, the answer is yes. Alhamdulillah, I know to the best of my ability. I did this only for Allah. Not for my name, not for fame. My name is nowhere, nothing. Only for Allah. Did not take any money. No money involved. No material benefit involved. I was working only and only for the pleasure of Allah. So, inshallah, sincerity and ikhlas is there. Wallah alam. Second one, the thing that you were doing, was it for Islam? Yes, 100% only for Islam. There's no other material benefit in that. There's no business deal in it, nothing. Was doing it only for Islam. Number three, did you make enough effort? Yes, I made enough effort. I was working day and night on it. Thanks to that, all my other works got neglected, but this work got precedence. I did all this. So all three conditions are satisfied. Then what happened? Nothing happened. Did not get success. So, looking at these three things. First one, you can complain. I did all this, nothing happened. Bad, bad, bad choice. We don't complain. Second one, we accept. But what is the best way? The best way is to say, Alhamdulillah. I thank Allah that this did not happen. You might say this is crazy. How, how, why do you thank Allah? If, if you are going to thank Allah, it did not happen. What would you have done if it had happened? You would have still thanked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what is this thanking Allah, it did not happen? Thanking Allah, it did not happen because... How does Rida bil come? Because of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْسِمْ مِّنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا صَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالُوا قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ أُولَئِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ صَلَوَاتٌ مِّنْ رَبِّهِمْ وَرَحْمَةٌ why do you thank Allah? Because Allah is specifically mentioning failures. Allah is mentioning tests. Allah is mentioning pain. Allah is mentioning loss. Yes and truly and verily we will test you. With what? With fear. With hunger. By the destruction and loss to your wealth. To your health and yourself. And to your children and your family. We will test you in these ways. Some of them, all of them. And then what? Test you means what? Loss. Good news, glad tidings, Bashara. For the people who do suffer. And who are they? Alladina Ida Asabatum Musibatun when they have this Musa Masaib, when they have this Musiba, what do they do? Kalu inna lillahi wa inna ilahi raju. They say we are from Allah and to Allah is our return. And then what does Allah say? 
What are you thanking Allah for? You're thanking Allah that because of the way Allah held you, because of the support Allah gave you, because of how Allah allowed you and permitted you and enabled you to act in the face of failure, you are now are inshallah in the position where Allah said, Alayhim salawatu mir rabbi. Battle of Tabuk. Nabi Sallallahu is asking for donations. Abu Bakr Siddiq comes and they're like, yeah, long hadith, many of you have heard about that, I'm talking about one piece of it. Abu Bakr Siddiq comes dressed in rag, literally, you know, jute hessian cloth, sack. He, he made a hole in the sack, he pulled it on his, through his head through that like a poncho and he uh, secured the sides with thorns. Even his clothes, he has come, he brought it. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, what, what have you left for your family, Ya Abba Bakr? He said, Ya Rasulullah, Allah and His Nabi are sufficient for me and my family. So what happens now? Jibreel Salam comes. And Jibreel Salam comes and says, Ya Rasulullah, your Rabb sends Salam on your friend Abu Bakr and your Rabb wants to know, is Abu Bakr pleased with him? Hey? Abu Bakr Siddiq starts weeping. He says, Ya Rasulullah, Allah wants to know if I am pleased with him. Ya Kareem. Allah wants to know if I am pleased. How can I not be pleased with Allah? And then Rasulullah looks at Jibreel. What does he see? He sees Jibreel dressed in the same clothes as Abu Bakr. Who is Jibreel? The king of the Malaika. Muqarrabun from the Muqarrab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jala jala. The one to whom Allah speaks directly. Jibreel salam is dressed in a sack. Rasulullah s.a.w. said, Ya Jibreel, what is this? Your clothes. Jibreel salam said, Ya Rasulullah, today your Rabb has ordered not only me, but all of us, the billions and zillions of alike on the seven heavens, to dress like your friend Abu Bakr, your Rabb loves his dress so much. Okay? This is the meaning of Rida bil Khala. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, I did not succeed. Alhamdulillah, I did not succeed. And my Rabb allowed me to be in a position where I do not complain. Allowed me to be in a position where I am not only accepting the qadr of Allah but I say Alhamdulillah Ya Rab, I am very happy that I did not succeed because of this inshaAllah I am close to you that is the reason why Ali Abi Talib he said Araftu Rabbi bi fasqil azayam imagine these are people who got the tarbiyah of Muhammad Sallallahu he said I recognized my Rabb by the breaking of my aspirations by the failure of my desires Araftu Rabbi, I recognize my Rabb. I got the Irfan of my Rabb. 
be fasqil azaim because of my as my azaim whatever i wanted to do did not happen it did not succeed despite my best efforts despite my sincerity despite all my dua it did not happen that is where i recognize that my rab is the one who runs this world not me and then of course the one who has rida bil khada you know what he also recognizes he recognizes the fact that all the dua he made for that thing to succeed is waiting for him on the day of judgment what is the value of that dua this thing whatever it was in this world if it had succeeded would it have given him the same value as this dua with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is with allah on the day of judgment not in a million years not in 1 million years because this dua which waits with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment and i'm not saying this you know why i'm saying it because this is what rabbi sallallahu alaihi wasallam told us that dua on the day of judgment allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say my slave you asked me for this i did not give it to you now ask me what you want of it what is the value of that dua yeah what is the value of that dua that is why the one who understands this the one who knows his rab jalla jalalu may allah make us all among those <coughs> he makes the best effort and if he succeeds alhamdulillah rabbil alamin but if he fails still alhamdulillah rabbil alamin rida bil qada rida bil qada is that is why it is so so important third point on rida bil qada which i want to say and end with that which is that just because you and i do not see the effect of our efforts immediately or in this world do not believe that there is no effect rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself when rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam passed away at the age of 63 in madina the sum total of islam was within jaziratul arab was only within the arabian peninsula even there it was not completely in the arabian peninsula because people like musalma kazab and sawar so were there those people were not muslim so you're talking about the effort of the nabi sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wasallam even he did not see the fulfillment of his effort during his lifetime but did that mean that nothing was happening everything was happening because in the same generation as nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam umar ibn al-khattab radhiyallahu ruled over an empire from madina all the way up to jerusalem ruled over an empire from madina all the way into iran the whole of syria whole of iraq whole of persia and then one generation next next not even not even one generation i mean sayyidina usman radhiyallahu again the same muslims were in china muslims were in india muslims were in india long before that but i'm saying in in actual the uh, army of uh, um, of uh, which came to sindh uh, mohammed bin qasim came at the time of uh, mohammed bin qasim yeah 
that came at the time of in the time of Osman uh, and then if you look at uh, North Africa all of this happened in the time of uh, with the same generation yeah, Mahmoud Maqasim was not uh, Osman that, that was a little later that was in in, uh, uh, the, in the Umayyad period but anyway the, the point being that in the Saad Mian who went to China and that was in the time of Osman bin Affan Radilano during his Khilafah. So the point I'm saying is that just because you make effort and you do not see the result or you find that the result didn't happen, one is number one is to remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inshallah al mustaan is uh, is pleased and therefore what ha- what is happening is what pleases Allah. And also that don't think it, it's a failure, it's not a failure, it's everything takes time. And this is part of the process. If a farmer plants a seed and dies, has he failed or has he succeeded? He succeeded because he planted the seed. If he had not planted the seed, then you might have said, well, you know, he should have done something. But if he planted the seed and died, the seed will germinate. The seed will germinate. Final point, this is why one of the Salafi said, when I make dua and Allah grants it to me, I am happy. But when I make dua and Allah does not grant it to me, I am even more happy. So somebody asked him, what do you mean by that? He said, because when I make dua and Allah gives me, then what I wanted happened. But when I make dua and Allah does not give me, then what my Rabb wanted happened. And therefore I am even more happy because I am able for, for me, what happened was what my Rabb wanted. So I am even more happy. That is the meaning of Rida bil We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us among those who are always pleased with His Qada, insha'Allah. Then we come to the issue of generosity, which is a very, very critical factor of leadership. No one respects a leader who is stingy. No one respects a leader who will not share. No one respects a leader who is not with his people. And this is true if you look at leaders, even across, uh, if you take Genghis Khan, for example. Genghis Khan had enormous, I mean the kind of loyalty that Genghis had from his people was probably unprecedented in the sense of, you know, uh, very few people had that kind of loyalty. And what do they say about Genghis Khan? They say about Genghis Khan that he ate what his people ate and he ate with them. He lived in a tent like they lived in a tent his whole life. He did not eat separately, he sat with them, he ate with them and he ate what they ate. That what the troops ate is what the king ate. They say the same thing about Salahuddin, Ayyubi Rahmatullahi. They say the same thing about Khayyid Walid And of course we know that this was true of Rasulullah In the battle of Khandak, Nabi Sallallahu a man comes to him and he says, he lifts up his shirt, he says, Ya Rasulullah, see I got a stone tied on my belly, I'm so hungry. Nabi Sallallahu lifts up his shirt and there are three stones. Three flat stones tied on his belly too. Keep hunger away. Generosity comes before anything else. In generosity, I mentioned to you the dua after Taif, Fatah Makkah and so on as examples of forgiveness. But these are also examples of amazing generosity. When Rasulullah could have done something to retaliate, he did not. Another Totally amazing example of generosity is the treatment of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
with respect to Abdullah bin Ubay bin Khalf. Abdullah bin Ubay bin Khalf uh, bin Salur uh, was the head of the Munafiqeen in Medina. And he was a man who never left, he didn't let anything pass, he did not allow any opportunity to go past where he could have harmed Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He tried his best, he did many things. When Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came back from Tabuk, his son, Abdullah bin Abdullah, who was uh, a Muslim, he came to him and he said, Ya Rasulullah, my father passed away. He just died. And I want you to please give your thobe, you give your shirt for me to use as kafan for my father. He knew his father, he knew who his father was, he was afraid for his father's akhirah. And he was trying to do the best for his father. Now tell me what, in terms of baraka, what is better, what can be better than the actual shirt of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam which was next to his skin to be a kafan for the person who was being buried. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam took it off and gave it to him. Then Abdullah bin Abdullah, he said to him, Ya Rasulullah, can you please come and do the Salatul Janaza for my father. Salatul Janaza is Dua of Maghfirah. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, yes. He went there. When he stood there with the body and he was standing there, Umar bin al-Khattab came and stood before him. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, do not do this. Do you know who this is? Rasulullah said, yes, I know who it is, Umar, move aside. Again he came and said, Ya Rasulullah, please do not do this. Don't pray for this man. Nabi Sallallahu said, move aside. Sayyidina Umar moved aside. Nabi Sallallahu prayed Salatul Janaza for Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salur. Rasulullah Sallallahu put him in the grave. After that, and this is the Rahmah of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala could have revealed that ayah at any time. He could have revealed this ayah right there before the Salatul Janaza. Allah did not do that. His Nabi was doing something, Allah let him do it. But then he revealed the ayat of Surah Tawbah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said even if you ask forgiveness for him meaning Abdullah bin Wayb bin Salul and the Munafiqun he said even if you ask forgiveness for them 70 times Allah will not forgive them. Right? What was Rasulullah's reaction to that? Nabi sallallahu said if I knew if I knew that my Rabb would forgive him if I asked forgiveness 71 times, I would ask 71 times. Who is he saying this for? He is worst enemy. That is the meaning of generosity. And that's why it's amazing, just think about it in your own life. What we remember about people is how we felt in those situations. That's why they say people won't remember what you say, but they will remember how you made them feel. So in any situation, when you are generous, people remember that. And they remember that for far longer than you might imagine. There was a, ma there was a woman who used to sing in Makkah. She was a singer and she used to sing some very derogatory and insulting poetry relating to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. There were people who were writing that stuff and she used to sing. So after Fatah Makkah and so on, she lost all her clientele. She became very poor. So she came to Madinah. Imagine the, the 
reputation for generosity, how it spreads and how it spreads and what people do. So this woman now, where does she come? She comes to Madina to the house of Rabbi Sallallahu And she says, Ya Rasulullah, I am a fakir, I've got nothing, I've become a, a, a bhikari. So please give me something. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked her, he said, what happened to all your clients? You used to sing all this stuff. He said, they're all gone, there's nobody there, nobody's, you know. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, will you become Muslim? She said, no. Huh? Imagine. <laughs> you, have to, you have to respect the integrity of these people. She would have pretended to be Muslim. No, she was honest, she was a straight woman. Wallahala, maybe she became Muslim later, I don't know about that. But he asked her, he said, will you become Muslim? She said, no. What does he do? Does he kick her out? No. He called his family and said, give this woman. And they say they gave her so much he couldn't carry it. Generosity. Nabi Sallallahu is sleeping outside under a tree. Heat of summer in the middle of the afternoon, he's sleeping under a tree. And his sword, he hung it on the tree. There was a man who came there, he saw the chance of Nabi Sallallahu sleeping under a tree, the sword there, he took the sword. And now he kicked him with his foot. And Nabi Sallallahu woke up, he saw the man standing there with a naked sword. The man said, Ya Muhammad, who will save you from me now? Rasulullah said, Allah. The moment he said, Allah, the man started shivering. And the sword dropped from his hand. Nabi picked up the sword, put it on his neck and he said, who will save you from me now? He said, you will save me. <laughs> the man said, Nabi said, will you become Muslim? He said, no. He said, no. You are a sword to his neck. He said, no. Nabi said, go. <laughs> he didn't chop his neck. He didn't say, you don't become Muslim, I'll kill. No, no. He said, okay, go. This is the meaning of generosity. We come therefore to kindness. Now in kindness, I want to tell you some other stories. Not stories of great international incidents, but small things. Because the small things illustrate these qualities much more than, you know, in a big incident, a person is acting consciously and he may have thought of a whole plan. But small things are everyday things. Three children. Zaid bin Haris Slave is bought in the market. Khadija al-Kubra presents him to Nabi Sallallahu Little boy, maybe at that time he is about nine years old or so. Rasulullah takes him in. The first thing he does is he frees him. <coughs> and now he says, he is living with Nabi Sallallahu He is free, not a slave. He had been captured from somewhere. He was an African... Uh, black African boy. So his father and uncle, they were looking for him. So after uh, some months, they through whatever grapevine they heard that this boy is here in Makkah, they came searching and they heard that he is with, he is the slave or, of Muhammad Sallallahu So they came to the house of Nabi They said, Ya Rasulullah, we have come to for our son and whatever ransom you want, whatever his price, we, will, we are ready to pay. Uh, we want to buy him back. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, there is no price because he is not a slave. I freed him already, he is not a slave anymore. So they said, can we take him? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, you are most welcome to take him, but ask him if he wants to go. Then fair enough. 
Sallallahu called the boy. He said, Yes, yeah, you know this person? He said, Yeah, he's my father. You know this person? Yes, he's my uncle. Nabi said, They have come to take you back. Zaid said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Zaid bin Harisa So the father and uncle, they saw the boy is happy, they saw he's well taken care of and so on. He said, He doesn't want to go. Alhamdulillah, no problem. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, please. Let him be with you. Nabi Sallallahu took him by the hand, took him to the, to the Kaaba and he stood there and he announced and said, This boy is my son. From today he will be called Zaid bin Muhammad. It's only later when in Madina, Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayat of Surah Al-Ahzab which prohibited adoption in this form which is to give your name to the adopted child. You can still take a, 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 a boy or a girl uh, into your home and look after them like your own children which is what you are supposed to do anyway but you can't give them your name they will when they grow up they will not be mahram for you and you uh, they will not inherit from you normally so if you if you want them to inherit you will have to give them uh, property and so on uh, gift it to them because when if you die then they will not be able to inherit from you because they are not actually your children. So this is the Islamic law as far as adoption is concerned. But uh, absolutely no problem with adopting in the sense of bringing them home, keeping them as your, as your children, raising them just like your children. So this is what happened to Zaid bin Haiza. Now, Zaid bin Haiza lived with Nabi Sallallahu his whole life. Uh, he grew up, he, uh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi married him to Maiman. Uh, they had a son called Usama bin Zaid. Uh, later on he was married to Zainab uh, bin Jahash radiallahu anha. And uh, later on, Zainab bin Jahash was was uh, divorced, and Rasulullah married her, and all of that is a different story. But Zaid bin Harisa radiallahu says that one day when he was still a little kid, eight, nine years old, ten years old, uh, he said, Rasulullah uh, we're talking about kindness. So Nabi said, he said, Nabi uh, called me and told me, gave me some money, and said, go to the market and get me something. He said, I went on the way. Uh, some of my friends were playing, I got involved in the, in the game, I forgot about my job which I was sent to do and quite a long time passed. Now Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam having sent the boy, uh, he got worried because here is this uh, young boy, he went away, he hasn't come for a long time so he went out searching for him. What does he find? He finds him playing with his kids. So he stood there, he called him, then I got afraid because <laughs> I was supposed to go and get this stuff and now the Prophet himself is here. So he said, I came there, Nabi asked him, what happened? He said, Ya Rasulullah, I am very sorry. He said, no, no problem. Uh, give me the money, I will go and get the stuff. Then I put my hand in my pocket, this pocket, that pocket, money is gone. He was playing this game somewhere, and some money fell out, and I couldn't find it. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, money is lost. He said, the Prophet smiled and told me, go finish your game and come home. And then he went to get whatever he had to get. Another boy who was in the service of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when he first went to uh, Medina, uh, Anas bin Malik Anas bin Malik at that time was about 10 years old. He stayed in the service of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam throughout his life until Rasulullah passed away. And one of the many uh, fadail of Anas bin Malik is that from the time, from the day Rasulullah passed away, Anas bin Malik anhu used to see Rasulullah in a dream every single night. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the Ruyat Nabi, the sight of Nabi once. I make this dua, Allah give me once before I die inshallah. Anas bin Malik used to see every day. This Anas bin Malik says, I served the Prophet for 10 years in Madira. 
and he said not one instance was there when he even frowned at me he said i was a i was a boy he told me to do things i would forget i would do them i would do them wrong all kinds of like i like any kid you know he said not only did he not reprimand me he didn't beat me he didn't curse me he did he said he did not even frown at me in 10 years not even once a third boy jewish boy who used to hang out with the wisra sir he used to be around rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam didn't see him couple of days passed he asked the people he said where is that boy this is rasulullah he is very sick and looks like he will die nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said take me to him so they took him into the house this boy is obviously dying last moments of his life he is lying on the bed his father is standing on one side of the bed rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam went and sat down and he took the hand of the boy in his hand and he said to the boy qul la ilaha illallah tuflihu he said say la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah and be successful this boy's last moments is dying he looks at his father father is a jewish man boy is a jewish boy he looks at his father the father says obey abul qasim he said obey muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam jewish man he says obey muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam the boy says la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah and he passes away with his hand in the hand of the nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam when the man the nabi hold somebody's hand he will not release it until he gets into janatul fadl inshallah eh? what is this kindness But even the Jewish father of the boy tells him believe and and and, and obey Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Where is this kindness? Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to help his family at home. He would joke with them, laugh with them, and so on. Aisha Siddiqui Ardalana one day says that I challenged him. I said, "Ya Rasulullah, uh, make rotis with me." You know, she is making bread. He says, "Make bread with me." Let's see who makes more bread. Let's see who makes it faster. So she said, "I made." Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam made, and she said, "I made one, and I made two, and I made three, and I made four, and he is still sitting with one. He doesn't cook." So she said, "I laughed and I said, 'Yeah, Rasulullah, you can't even make bread. See, I made so many.'" Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, "Aisha, what the hand of Muhammad touches, the fire does not touch." He said, "What can I do? It doesn't cook." He said, "What the hand of Muhammad has touched, the fire cannot touch." So it's not that I don't know how to make bread. The fire doesn't cook my bread. Where is this kindness? Huh? What happened to us? What happened to us? The only stories. Today we are characterized by hatred, Allah. Our whole dialogue is hatred. Our whole dialogue is differentiating. Our whole dialogue is moving people away. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam people loved him so much that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala had to reveal Quran to say, "Leave him alone. He has a personal life. When he invites you for a meal, go eat the meal and leave. Don't go for, if he invites you for dinner. Don't go at time breakfast." Go at the time when you are invited. Eat the food and go. Don't sit there talking. When Allah said, 
He is shy to tell you what Allah is not shy to tell you. Read the ayat of Surah Al-Ahzab. Why does Allah have to say all this? Because they loved him so much. Why did they love him so much? Because of this kindness. Because of this bigness of heart. Because of this generosity. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Seriously, brothers and sisters, we have to really, really, really look at ourselves. And say, what have we become? Imagine what this world will be like. Imagine what the reaction of the non-Muslims will be like. If we become like Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa who can object to somebody who is kind? Tell me. Who can object to somebody who is giving? We were sent to give. We were not sent to take. We were sent to take from Allah and give to the people. But we are scratching around in the dirt like chickens, like everybody else. Then we get worked up because people don't like us. Nobody likes somebody who takes. We like people who give. We come to the ninth of the tenth, which is truthfulness. Rasulullah, his title. What was his title? As-Sadiqul Amin. As-Sadiqul Amin. The truthful and the trustworthy. What is truth? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Haq. Allah said, Waqulil Haqqu Mi Rabbiku. Say the truth is your Rabb. And that is the reason why La ilaha illallah is a reflection of the truth. The one who accepts this is truthful. The one who denies it is untruthful. That is why the word kafir, for example, or the word mushrik is a definition term. It's not an insult. In uh, Arabic, you call a farmer kafir. Not because he's, a, he's not a Muslim. Because he hides the seed. He buries the seed. So the one who buries the seed is called a, it's not a critical term, that's his job, that is what he does, he plants the seed. He's called a kafir because he is doing this, he is burying this, burying. So the kafir is the one who denies the truth, and what is the truth? Al-Haqqu mir rabbikum, your Rabb is the Haqq. The one who says there is no God is denying the truth. The one who is combining somebody with the Khudrat of Allah is again denying the truth, and he is doing something else which is sharik. He is making, he is a mushrik because he is making sharik. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called the day of judgment the day of truth. Why? For two reasons. Firstly, because that day will happen. Let the one, the day of judgment is the haq, is truth, and let the one who believes in that make a way towards his rabb. Let him do what needs to be done. So it is called al yawmul haq. Why? Because first of all it will happen. It is the day of truth and secondly because on that day only truth will prevail. There is no injustice on the day of judgment. La zulma There is no zulm on this day. Truth, only truth will prevail. Injustice, lying, cheating will not work. No deception on the day of judgment. Now truthfulness is the quality of all the Anbiya. There is no Nabi who lied. There is no Nabi who was not truthful. But truthfulness is a very special quality of Rasulullah It's a defining quality of Muhammad And again, millions of examples, but some of the finest examples are in the revelation of the Quran itself. There are ayat in the Quran, for example, the opening ayat of uh, Surah Al-Abasa, the opening ayat of Surah Tahrim, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed ayat which were 
with due respect I am saying they, are, they were critical of Rasulullah in Surah Abasa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed ayat in the beginning of the surah saying that my Nabi frowned at the blind man Nabi was sitting with some of the shurafa of the Quraysh some of the uh, wealthy people of Quraysh when Abdullah bin Maktoum he came into the into the masjid and he was a blind man and he came to Nabi Sallallahu so Rasulullah Sallallahu didn't want to be disturbed in that meeting so he turned and he looked at, at Abdullah Maktoum and he had a frown on his face now remember the man is blind he can't see that so he does not know that the Prophet Sallallahu frowned and Nabi Sallallahu did not do anything else he didn't say anything to him he didn't treat him in any way so the man has no clue what has happened Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayat and he said that my Nabi frowned but maybe the poor man has is, is more deserving of your company because he is uh, you know in search of truth whereas these rich people are uh, not going to come to the truth no matter what and so on and so forth if you, if you read the uh, opening passages of uh, Surah al you will see this now point being here of truthfulness the ayat were revealed the ayat referred to Rabbi Sallallahu personally Allah did not even say that tell people that they should not frown he didn't say this he said this is what my Nabi did the man who was within quote supposedly the recipient of this frown was not even aware it happened why did Nabi tell people that these are the ayat when they did not reflect on him positively that is the greatest mark of truthfulness of the Nabi what Kalam came to him he conveyed Yatlu alayhim ayatihi Allah said make tilawat of the ayat which have come to you he said whether those ayat reflected on him positively or negatively so to speak he conveyed Similarly, ayat of Surah Tahrim, opening ayat, Sayyidah Aisha and Sayyidah Hafsa radiallahu anhuma, they did not like Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam going to Sayyidah Zainab, I believe that is the uh, other uh, wife that they had an issue with. So, she used to, when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went there, Sayyidah Zainab used to give him honey, uh, water mixed, mixed with honey which he liked to drink so when he came here they, these two made a pact and they said when he comes to our to you, to you or me we will tell him Rasulullah, there is some uh, smell from your mouth which is unpleasant Nabi Sallallahu was extremely sensitive to unpleasant smells so he said okay I will not drink this thing the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said you have made haram on yourself what Allah made halal because of your wives now again this is not a general hukum for people it is not a matter of ibadah it is not a matter of aqidah nothing but these ayat came Nabi Wasallam communicated them as they came without any change and that is the quality of truthfulness and that's why la ilaha illallah is a reflection of truthfulness final point of uh, now before we come to that, uh, let me uh, talk about uh, one more incident of, uh, of this issue of truthfulness. It's very very important which refers to also being truthful not only in word but also in action. Abdullah bin Abi Sarf was one of the Sahaba Nabi Sallallahu He was a, um, he was a brother uh, by, uh, because they both went to, the, the, he and Usman bin Affan Radhaelanu. They were uh, what we call milk brothers, so they, they, they had the nurse from the same uh, mother. Now, Abdullah bin Abisara was, uh, he became Muslim, uh, he used to even record Wahi, then he left Islam, 
he became murtad went went back to makkah and uh, then he started writing uh, stuff and saying that this is wahi so it was a very serious uh, extremely uh, you know uh, repugnant action so he was one of the seven who were sentenced to death by nabi sallallahu so when after fatah makkah so now abdullah bin bisara went to his brother uthman bin affan and he said save me so said uthman said look i will take you to nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam you go and accept islam so he covered him up he put him he mounted him on the on the mule of nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he took him to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and sat him down before nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam there abdullah bin bisara uh, took off his uh, niqab and he said ya rasulullah i have come to accept islam please accept me islam la ilaha illallah illa allah wa ashhadu anna rasulullah rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam kept silent abdullah bin bisara said it a second time Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is surrounded by people. There are lots of people there. Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam remained silent. He said it a third time. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam still remained silent. He said it a fourth time. When Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam took his hand and accepted his Islam, so he accepted Islam. The man became Muslim. Therefore, automatically all his sins are forgiven. The death sentence is gone. Is gone. Abdullah Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam left the place. He later on he I mean not later on from that moment onwards he became a very good Muslim. Alhamdulillah he lived a good Muslim all his life. During the Khilafah of Osman ibn Affan radhiyallahu he was an army commander he was a governor and he died in Salatul Fajr. So Alhamdulillah Allah subhanahu wa taala gave him a good ending also. And this is the Qudrat of Allah. Somebody who becomes a murtad and and fabricates why Allah subhanahu wa taala gives him Jannah. This is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa taala. Anyway. So when this happened, and when the man left, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to the Sahaba, he said, "Could not one of you have taken off this man's head? Didn't you realize that I was giving you time to do that? I did not accept his Islam three times." They said, "Yeah, Rasulullah, we didn't realize that because they are not used to Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam, you know, ordering anything." They said, "Yeah, Rasulullah, we were, we we did not realize that." One of them said, "Yeah, Sula, you should have simply signaled with your eyes. You should have winked or something. We would have known, right? Some way, you should have signaled with your eyes." Nabi Shallallahu's reaction is what? He said, "It is not the way of the Ambiya to signal with their eyes." So even deception by a gesture, a minimal gesture, was not something that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did. And that's the reason why one hadith of Rasulullah said, "Do not lie even as a joke, because you get used to it. One lie, two lie, three lies. You get used to it, and then the you start lying, and then you become known as a liar. And that's a very very uh, bad thing. And that's the reason why in the famous hadith somebody asked Rasulullah said, 'Yeah, Rasulullah, can a Muslim commit murder?' He said, 'Yes.' He said, 'Can a Muslim commit zina?' He said, 'Yes.' 'Can a Muslim drink alcohol?' He said, 'Yes.' 'Can a Muslim steal?' He said, 'Yes.'" He said, "Yes, Allah. What is it that a Muslim cannot do?" Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, "He cannot tell a lie. He cannot tell a lie." Then I, when I heard, first heard this hadith, I used to think, "What is so? You know, all of these other things are much more serious." Until I realized that as-sadiqul amin, the truthful and the trustworthy, are the is the is the title of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and this is the title that he. Gave to his own ummah. Who is a Muslim? As-Sadiqul Amin. Eh, imagine this is the honor that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave us. So don't, don't lose it by telling lies. 
A man came to me, Sallallahu Alaihi young man. And he gave me, I said, Sallallahu I'm full of all kinds of things. He said, I do zina, I gamble, I drink alcohol, and so on, so on. I don't want to do all this, but I, you know, I'm stuck. I, I'm like this. Uh, what can I do? I'm very weak. But tell me, I can leave one thing. I can't leave everything. Just one thing. What should I leave? Out of all this. Muslim guy. Rasulullah said to him, leave telling lies. Don't tell lies. So I thought, okay, this is easy. And he's not, tell, he's not told me to leave anything else, you know. Now he goes home. In the evening he wants to go to his, uh, his hangout place where he drinks with his friends. Then he thinks to himself, if tomorrow I meet Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he asks me where we were last evening, what will I tell him? I can't go and tell him I was, I was drinking. No, I can't do that. Very shameful. So he didn't go there. And the same thing happened for all. Anytime he wanted to do something, he used to, if the Prophet meets me and asks me, what will I tell him? So I promised him I will not tell a lie. So I will tell him the truth. And the truth is so shameful. How do I tell him? One thing which he gave up, which is telling lies, saved him from everything else. That is the benefit of of not telling lies. Think about this. Why do we lie? We lie because we know we are wrong. No? I mean, otherwise why will you lie? If you know you are right, you are right. You lie because you know you are wrong. So instead of making tawbah, instead of correcting yourself, instead of apologizing to somebody, depending on what kind of thing you are lying about, you start telling lies. You try to hide and it is lie upon lie upon lie. You build this until it collapses on top of your head. What is the biggest problem with telling lies? Is that you build a culture of suspicion. This is what our world is today. What do we teach our children? Trust nobody. The Sahaba did not live in a world where they had to tell somebody trust nobody. They trust everybody. Because people don't lie. I mentioned this before in a, in a khutbah and so on. When I first went to South Africa, I was in a... I, I'm invited, invited all over the place. So one of the places I invited was there were a lot of judges. And, uh, and, and senior advocates. One of them said to me that there was a time in this country during the apartheid, which was the white uh, Protestant government, which was, uh, you know, white supremacy government. And they were very religious people. I mean, they, they, their apartheid was part of their religion. So anti-black segregation and so on. So he said, in, during that time, he said a Muslim, when he was, when he had to bear witness in court, a Muslim did not have to swear on the Bible or on the Quran. He, had, he did not need to take an oath to give witness. Why? Because they said Muslims don't lie. So, who is saying this? A Christian government. A Christian is not given that privilege. A Christian has to put his hand on the Bible and say, I, sp- I, 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 I swear to speak the truth and nothing but the truth. But the Muslim in a Christian government does not have to take the oath when he is bearing witness because they said Muslims don't lie. Very sadly, no longer the case. Muslims also have to swear <laughs> and, and take an oath. And they swear, I mean, a different meaning of that. Swear too much. That's why they have to take an oath. But <laughs> so telling lies builds a culture of suspicion. And of course, final point is, if you don't lie, you don't need a good memory. Nothing, you don't have to remember, oh, what are all this, what is the whole story I built up. No, the truth, that is the truth. Now, elements of trustworthiness, two, three things just, and that's the last slide there, which is that amana, trustworthiness is to, is amanadar, somebody who 
takes care of trust. It's not only material. Amanat is also information. And sometimes the information is far more important and, and, and uh, critical than money. So if somebody tells you something in confidence. Now we have got a, a culture where if someone tells you something in confidence as the first, if you want something to spread, go and tell it to somebody and say, don't tell anyone. Then you are absolutely certain that this one, everyone will be told. Now this is a, a very nasty kind of habit we have got. So we need to get out of that. So protecting whatever was entrusted to you. Amana will be questioned, whether it's money, whether it's information, whether it's any secret and so on and so forth. And please understand, it takes a whole life to build that. It takes one incident to destroy it. So be very careful with what people entrust to you. And as I said, today we have a, uh, really seriously we have to ask ourselves that the life of Rasulullah is a case study for us to um, think of is to study uh, because it is a case study which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us as a cure for our fatal remedies uh, fatal uh, maladies uh, which is what are fatal maladies our fatal maladies is oppression it is cruelty it is lack of compassion it is injustice today think about that if this world had justice <coughs> Practically every problem that we have today would disappear. There would be no problem in Iraq, there would be no problem in Syria, there would be no problem in Afghanistan, there would be no problem anywhere. You would have a world of justice. Seriously, we have to get our lives in control. And it begins with me. It begins with me. It's not about others. It's not about prescribing, uh, you know, prescriptions for others. It's about looking at my own life and saying, what is it in my life that I can straighten out to make it in line with the life of Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with you and never to be displeased. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to choose the right things uh, and to give us the hidayah and the guidance to choose that which is right, which pleases him and save us from that which does not please him.